This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And hello, and this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales, with a Mob and Rob, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. That means I'm Mob. Well, and look, it's, it's, a, it's actually a beautiful day here in, uh, you know, in suburban Blackburn South in Melbourne. Um, it's, it's about 15 degrees, which given that it's almost exactly uh, the middle of winter here, or the, um, the winter solstice. The winter solstice, the winter solstice yeah. Um, is actually a yeah, it's a, it's a very pleasant and sunny day. Whereas over on um, the Bering Strait uh, in Medney Island, um, we don't have a temperature also known as Copper Island. Or, okay, also known as Copper Island for our if our Siberian listeners uh, or Bering Strait listeners. Are, if we have uh, any Siberian pedants uh, yeah, listening, yes, yes. yes. Um, it, it's a, a, a rather chilly six degrees Celsius and and rather cloudy. So even though it's, it's absolutely the middle of summer. In um, in the Bering Strait, it's obviously a uh, a reasonable cold day. Although the forecast for Wednesday and Thursday is to get up to a um, yeah, comfortable eight degrees. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Well, one hundred and fifty years ago, it was about the same temperature, but uh, as opposed to having beautiful sunny skies, it was quite foggy, which makes our crew again very very nervous. Well, very, very nervous, although in, in the course of this week's episode, it's, it's going to make lots of The fog hits. lifts, shall we say? <laughs> yes, so we, we, now, we, we flagged last week that uh, this week was going to be a, uh, a, a rather exciting uh, episode of our podcast, and uh, I, I don't know quite how we're going to be able to get it all in. For a start, it's, it's a rather long week. 150 years ago. Yes, it has eight days rather than seven. <laughs> yes, because, because, get this, uh, they cross uh, in, in the week of, you know, the, of, of the winter solstice in June uh, in 1865, the crew of the Shenandoah... Summer solstice, sorry, northern hemisphere. Oh, sorry, it, it, it's our winter solstice, it's, it's our summer solstice. But, but they crossed the 180 degree meridian, which meant that they had gone a day ahead since leaving Liverpool. Yes. And instead of, I believe, in the case... Because uh, Mr Mason, Mitchum and Mason, of course, who was very well read, uh, mentions uh, Phineas Fogg in Jules Verne as having um, uh, you know, got a day ahead of himself by the time he gets round the world. But instead of doing that, the crew of the Shenandoah uh, decided to have two um, 22nd of... Um, as Mr. Whittle, the first officer, says in his journal, which I'm now riffling in front of the microphone, uh, so that in order to keep our time, we'll have to call tomorrow, Wednesday the 21st, or in other words, we'll have a week with two Wednesdays, a month with two 21sts, and a June with 32 days. This will puzzle some of our old sailors when Sunday comes to find the day on which they expected Sunday, Saturday's work will be done. Which I think is a bit rough. Uh, I, I, th- I think that is um, 
that is more of all of the harsh disciplinary measures that um, you know, uh, Mr. Whittle has instituted throughout uh, throughout the course of the uh, the voyage of the Shenandoah. I, I think this is this is a bit low. Uh, although th- there's some controversy here. Although I, I have to say, I think we might have to go down um, the first the... officer's side of the uh, uh, argument. Yes, yes because uh, Midshipman Mason uh, averts in his in his diary oh, in his that, expert opinion. Yes, um, they had two. Thursday. Um, so I, I think uh, one of them has to be wrong and one of them has to be right. And I think probably, well, given that the uh, it's the, the executive officer who's probably writing up the log, uh, I think it's the executive officer who, who's going to win, win on this occasion. Uh, not only that, but um, they actually managed to go back and forth across the... Uh, oh, the, my uh, goodness. <laughs> what does that do to your calendar? <laughs> I think that means um, they're the nearest possible people to Doctor Who on this planet <laughs> because I think they, they go back to yesterday, which, which must have been uh, very, very uh, discomforting, well, very, very confusing to them. And I have to say, um, given that we're using um, primary sources here as much as we can, the primary sources do get very confusing this week because not only are they skipping back and forth between what might be Wednesdays or might in fact be Thursdays, uh, but they're, they're in dense fog. And when the fog clears... Oh, there's, uh, Well, they see before before they see any whalers, and in fact, before they see any whales, they see some interesting stuff in the water. And Mister Whittle describes it as whale blubber, but I I believe that Mister Mason calls it something else. He's a bit more technical, and in fact, is more the expert in in this occasion. Well, I think so. Yes. Okay, so this was on Wednesday, June the 21st. Right. Um, This afternoon we saw several pieces of what is termed fat lean by whalemen, which is a part of the whale between the blubber or fat and the lean meat, and is neither fat nor lean and perfectly good for nothing. This indicated the presence of our prey, and I hope we may come upon them tomorrow. It is now figgy. You know what? I think I'm, I'm going out on a limb here and say by that he means uh, just now foggy because I, I doubt that there are figs floating in the Bering Sea. <laughs> okay. But it, it, it does say in the source, it is now figgy and we are lying here under short sail. But I hope we may have fine, clear weather tomorrow and make a good haul. Now, interestingly, sorry, I'll, I'll go back and correct what I said earlier. Uh, it was intended that there would be two Wednesdays, the 21st, and, um, and Mason... Uh, says that yeah, in his journal. But on Thursday, June the 22nd, number two, yesterday was Thursday the 22nd instead of Wednesday again, for before noon we recrossed the meridian into east longitude in chase of a ship which we captured shortly afterwards and another, the Euphrates and the William Thompson, both of New Bedford, Massachusetts. So... They, they um, having having had their first Wednesday, uh, and being about to have their second Wednesday, they instead have astonishingly Thursday following Wednesday because they go back across the hundred eightieth meridian uh, in in per- pursuit of of two Yankee whalers. Okay, so they've captured this ship, and not only are there the things of beef, pork, provisions, and other things on board. What's even worse for them is there's news. Oh, there's, there's newspapers. Oh, dear. Yes. Oh, dear, 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 dear. And this is where they first hear of the assassination of President Lincoln. And th- there were also attempts on the life of uh, 
William Seward yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah, you, you kind of forget about that. Um, he was actually very seriously injured. I believe he was stabbed in the neck. Oh. Well, well presumably that wasn't by John Wilkes Booth, who was otherwise engaged. So uh, do, do, you know, do you know who tried to get Seward? Yeah, that was, there was a conspiracy to assassinate these key members of the government. Um, another man, I think his name was Lewis Powell, tried to kill Seward and did, in fact, uh, stab him in the neck when he opened his door. Well, obviously that he, he took a knife to a gunfight, because Booth, Booth did much better with a gun. Yes. Uh, there was another assassin as well who was supposed to kill the vice president, Andrew Johnson, um, but he actually completely bottled out. He got drunk and went home to, and went to sleep instead. Uh, well, I wonder if they still hung him. <laughs> they did. Oh, so, so yeah, getting... Yeah, getting in for a penny, in for a pound. Yes, exactly. You know, if you're going to be hung anyway, you, you may as well go and try. Because that, 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 that was if Seward and Johnson had, in fact, both been killed, that, that would have left uh, a bit of a hole. That would have, the, um, yes, decapitated the top of the government, which I'm sure was the whole intent of yes, the plot. So, so, so that, that would have, um, I presume, been... Um, as much of a well, it would have been a shock to the Confederates as much as. Um... Well, Whittle is very shocked. He said, in fact, in his journal, "I fear that these attempts will be put to the credit of some Confederates, but I am certain it was not done by anyone from our side," which is or, a bit hard to believe. Well, no, I mean, I, thought, I, I, I don't. Well, it wasn't an official assassination. I guess they, they were, you know. Comp- Confederate sympathisers, but not actually... You know, true. true, true. He, he then goes on to write, I'm very much cast down by the news, which, if true, is very bad. Charleston, Savannah and Richmond taken, how awful it is. But he says that when he hears that uh, General Lee is reported to have surrendered after his evacuation of Richmond at Appomattox with his whole army, he writes, All this I put down as false. I do not believe a single word. So, uh, obviously, this has come as an absolute blow to them, and it's just so so heavy a blow that they can't accept that it's happened. I, I think they're having a bad case of cognitive dissonance there. They, they simply cannot accept. Particularly when they get the news on the day that all of a sudden they are, in fact, achieving what they set out to do, which was to capture yes, the Yankee whaling capture, fleet. Capture lots of, lots, lots of Yankees. Um, well, but it's funny, but they, they don't seem to doubt that Lincoln was assassinated. They yeah, don't. Yeah, 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 which, which kind of, kind of, you know, and, and again, if you're believing some other stuff in the paper, anyway. But look, look um, uh, Mason, Mitchum and Mason has, has very similar um, uh, problems. So uh, the William Thompson gave us news from California up to the 22nd April containing the news of the assassination of Lincoln, the attempt to assassinate Seward, etc., etc. But the worst is the capture of Richmond and Charleston, the surrender of Lee with 20,000 men, and the capture of some 20,000 more. It is difficult to believe this, but the accounts are so minute that there must be some truth in it. However, I put the best face on the matter possible and try not to believe it. I am very uneasy about Mother, Aunt E and the girls, as well as Tom, who has no doubt been in all these battles. 
I have now but little time to write now. So many duties, watch boarding ships, stowing prize stores in the hole. I, I doubt also that there's no sign this week that he's making any progress on reading Lay's Mids. Or I, making I, new trousers. Or, or, or making new trousers, absolutely. Um, now, there's, everything is happening so so quickly um, on they're getting They're getting on, good on news day. with the ships they're capturing and bad news with the news they get on the ships they capture. Uh, but the, there is also interestingly, they chased after a what eventually became a English whaling bar. Yes, yes. And uh, they engaged in a bit of, I think, fairly um, <laughs> risible subterfuge. What did they pretend they were when they oh, caught up okay. to it? Okay, well, now, look, this entry is also from Thursday, June twenty second, when they went back across the dateline. Um, so th- this was this was such a big day. So on one day. They, uh, they find about the assassination of Lincoln. They find that, really, the war is going very, very terribly. Um, now, so they, they, they caught the Euphrates and the Williams Thompson of New Bedford, Massachusetts. But then uh, another bark came up. But um, this, despite the fact that the, the captain of this bark was a, um, was a Yankee, it was the Robert Towns of Sydney. And um, so... What the Shenandoah did, or what Captain Waddell did, the two ships came close enough to speak, and they passed ourselves off for a Russian man of war. <laughs> but I doubt whether he believed it, for we had one ship, then another burning, and yard tackles up, taking on board stores from the other. The prizes were some distance off, it is true, but I think John Bull was up to snuff, as in uh, he thinks that possibly the uh, the Robert Towns of Sydney. Now, um, Sea of Grey by um, uh, by Tom Chaffin uh, also points out that the Robert Towns of Sydney had in fact been in Melbourne when the Shenandoah was there. So I think uh, Captain Waddell's subterfuge of going... I think a comical Russian <laughs> accent was probably not going to be enough to convince him. And, and uh, uh, this is actually very important because um, uh, Waddell, Waddell can't capture a, uh, a neutral. And he, he especially, um, I think, yeah, given that he's been in Melbourne capturing a, an Australian or an English ship would, 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 yeah, would be theory beyond the pale, given the fine hospitality that he, uh, yes. that he got in Melbourne down. But there is then absolutely nothing stopping uh, those ships going off and warning, warning others. And mm-hmm. I believe that that's, in fact, exactly what the, uh, what the English ship did, um, although uh, not, not entirely successfully, uh, as, as we shall see. So I think, I think we're up to Thursday, June the 22nd, number two. We are, uh, we so are. So and there is, in fact, a second entry for Thursday... During the 22nd. Uh, in, okay, so, so uh, the plan was to have two Wednesdays, but in, instead they had two Thursdays. I think that's spinning my head. Uh, and, and what a poor sailor would, would, would make of it. Yes, I think it would be... It's uh, getting be to be very Doctor Who here. So they spent... But, but are, are, is there a flux in the time-space continuum? That, we we shall thing. see. <laughs> so they got uh, water and provisions off the prize and prisoners, and then it was fired. So they burned it and steamed away. Headed into some ice... And then that's well, where they saw the nine sails. Apparently, lots of ice. Like, like you know, um, they're, they're so busy capturing ships, but they're they're in the middle of, of of lots and lots of ice and constantly being pushed back. And and but that that's so sort of incidental that they're barely mentioning it. Well, I think um, if you're a whaler and you're being chased by a very long, slender warship, yes, heading into some ice would be a clever idea. Yes. and in fact, that's what two of them tried to do. They gave uh, they gave shot. 
at a ship escaping and it hove to and boarded her and it was the Sophia Thornton. Yes. Put a prize crew on board and then they captured uh, several other ships as well. Only to discover, sadly for them, that one was a Frenchman. Yes. One was a Hawaiian. I, I don't think they actually captured them. I think they, well, they, 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 they came up to them. Yes. Spoke, probably spoke to them in a comical Russian accent and tried <laughs> to send them on their way. Uh, the third, though, and this is a very important one for, in fact, the whole history of the uh, American Civil War, was a fast bark that had taken the alarm and clapped on all sail to escape. And it was called the uh, Gyra Swift of New Bedford. New Bedford, yes. Not the Taylor Swift, the Gyra Swift. <laughs> and they chased after it. And what did they do to uh, make it uh, stop? Well, um, okay, so uh, Friday the 23rd, I think we've stopped having different days. Um, <laughs> at 6 o'clock yesterday evening after a short chase, hove to the bark Gyra Swift of New... Maybe that was, yeah. Taylor Swift's ancestor, of, uh, of New Bedford by sending a rifle shell after her, took off the officers and crew and burnt her. And and that was, as far as anybody's, as anybody can work out, that was the last shot fired in anger in the American Civil War. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't actually the end of the American Civil War because, uh, uh, yeah, spoilers, the Shenandoah... Um, Still Continues to fight on another day, <laughs> but, but they did not again have to actually fire a shot to make uh, to make people uh, to pay, make people surrender. Um, now, of course, so this is a day when oh, look, I've lost count of uh, of how many of how many ships have they taken in the last couple of days. I think it's about five. Uh, but of course, um, Midshipman Mason with his uh, you know, captain's hat in his sea chest is uh, is never satisfied. Um, oh yes, okay. So a uh, so. Uh, but with the Gyra Swift, they took off the officers and crew and burned her, immediately returning to the other ships. Thus, out of the nine sails in sight yesterday morning, we captured but three. Rather a poor day's work, I think, considering that there was not much of a breeze. Of course, the captain ought to know best, but my humble opinion is that if we had gone properly to work we would have taken at least six who were close to us. Now, I kind of actually have a bit of doubt that Mason's opinion is, is all that humble. I, I think, uh, yeah, uh, despite the fact he's clearly a very intelligent young man as shown by his reading, I think he uh, actually has uh, a rather good opinion of himself. But but there you go. I'm sure uh, you know, Mr. Captain Waddell would have been very chastened if he'd, uh, he'd realised yes. that he should, in fact, have got not three ships, but uh, but six. Um, the, but, it... but, but having the three ships um, left, left them with a problem didn't it? Yeah, all of a sudden, instead of not having enough crew on board their ships and plenty of empty space, all of a sudden they got lots of prisoners. Yeah, even with their newly cleaned out tween decks, uh, it's probably starting to get a little bit, uh, little bit close there. But um, luckily, um, Southern Chivalry came to the rescue, oh. I believe, uh, because um, one of the ships that uh, they had captured uh, was the Milo. And uh, the Milo, the captain of the Milo, had his wife and daughter on board. Oh. And I, I think probably um, uh, Waddell had learned his lesson from, from taking female uh, prisoners on, on the voyage to Melbourne. So uh, it, it didn't work out. Yeah, well. yeah, it, it, it didn't work out particularly well. So um, the the Milo was bonded for forty six thousand uh, dollars, which was to be paid uh, on the nail to the Confederacy after the war, after the great victory, uh, after, <laughs> after the great victory. And the prisoners from the, the three ships that they had burned uh, were put on the Milo and, um, and, and 
eventually off they went. Now, uh, we're getting up to Friday the 23rd, and um, so we've already said that the gyre of Swift uh, was uh, taken on the 23rd and the last shot of the Civil War was fired, but there was some uh, further consequences of that, I believe. Yeah, they... They no, they actually capture the Susan Abigail oh, on the twenty okay. third. That's that's the last ship they they capture in in this week. Okay, and that ship was fresh out of San Francisco, so of course, it's got all the latest news. And very sadly for them, it had further confirmation of the assassination of Lincoln, the fall of Charleston, Savannah, Wilmington, and Richmond, and definitively the fact that General Lee had. Absolutely surrendered with his sixteen thousand men, uh, and I'm sure at, at some point. Well, again, because because um, uh, you know Smith Lee is uh, is General Lee's nephew, so they probably didn't go around saying Lee surrendered. We didn't, but at least not, not within Smith Lee's yes. hearing. That is, and as uh, as Whittle writes, the news is, if true, very bad. But there's life in the old land yet. Let us live with hope. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Oh, let us trust in Him. So. Things are pretty uh, I, bad. I think when you're, when you're appealing to the God of, of, uh, of Jacob, you're one step away from singing Abide With Me. Yes, I, 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 have I think to say. so. I have to say. So the, uh, the other thing that the uh, Susan Abigail had on board was very similarly to the Abigail, which was captured uh, yeah, a yes, couple of weeks ago. Susan Abigail, not the Abigail. But yes. following in the same sort of uh, tradition, what did the Susan Abigail have on board? Well, I, I think... Okay, uh, this morning, uh, so this is Friday the 23rd by Mason's Reckoning. They, they might be completely out. Um, this morning burnt the hermaphrodite brig. Um, I know there are hermaphrodite brigs in, um, in uh, Ma- you know, the Master and Commander novels, but I still haven't worked out at all what they mean. Uh, Susan Abigail of San Francisco. Uh, she was but a short time out on a whaling and trading voyage. And it's interesting that, that possibly... Um, as the whales get scarcer, but they're pushing up into the Arctic, they're, they're doing a lot more trading than, than whaling. And certainly the Susan Abigail is doing this. Um, it was chock full of all sorts of truck for trading with the natives, but we committed everything to the flames in short order. 2,000 gallons of liquor. Bloody hell. Four tonnes of tobacco. Curios, etc., etc., etc. Curios, possibly, I don't know, meaning... Axe heads or, uh, you know... Glass uh, beads like, and trinkets. <laughs> glass beads, trinkets, gaudy gigors to, you know, sate their appetite for the Piaun and, uh, uh, yes. Um, so, now, we did some back-of-the-envelope calculations on how much liquor that they took out of the... Um, Ice cube racks. <laughs> shot glasses, <laughs> pipes, uh, hookers. Yeah. Uh, hookers as in for smoking, not, uh, not, not uh, yes. for anything else with... Better watch our toad here. Um, yeah, yeah. I've, now, I think it's interesting that obviously the the officers of the Shenandoah have absolutely learned their lesson from the first uh, Abigail, and they burnt the Susan Abigail almost instantly. And you could imagine with uh, two thousand gallons of booze and all that huh. tobacco, it would have gone up. Woof. I think it would have gone up woof and it would have made, I think, a rather nice smell, possibly, <laughs> when, uh, when it went up. I think if you'd been downwind, you probably would have, uh, would have uh, got, a, got a contact high. Um, uh, by the way, a hermaphrodite brig yes. is one that's got square rigging on its foremast, or on the mainmast, and it's got a fore and aft mainsail on the back. So it's got two different types of sail setups. 
Oh, okay. So it's kind of like a combination of a full rig ship and a and a something else. Yes. Yeah. Oh. It's good to see your nautical terms. Oh, Thirty-three episodes well, in, Robert. Uh, uh, no, I, I think. I think when they start heading back to Liverpool, uh, I think then we might do some intensive investigations into what all these sails <laughs> mean. Because Midshipman Mason, as always, say you know we had the stun sail set up, hove to backwards, forwards. Anyway, I won't. But uh, yes, well, we'll do some. We'll do some more research on that uh, later on, uh, since clearly uh, it's it's somewhat required. <laughs> uh, <laughs> What I, what I should also do, uh, to, to go back a few weeks, is I, I, I should finish the model of the Cutty Sark that I started, I think, some months ago, because that involves putting all of the sails up on the model. Oh, and, good idea. Uh, and I'll, I'll probably learn something about that, and uh, we, we could perhaps even post a picture on our website. So there you go, I'm committed to, uh, to finishing the model of the Cutty Sark. Now, um, this, this has been such an exciting week, and I think we... Um, we, we might finish with a bit of um, ominous foreshadowing, um, because I think um, you know, Mason has, has been reading all of these novels, and I, I think he's learned a bit about, about ominous foreshadowing. Um, so we're actually going to skip back in time, and, and not in the way that they've been skipping back in time. Oh, uh, my head is spinning. <laughs> yes, I, I, I really don't know what on earth, how many Wednesdays and how many Thursdays we've had this week. Uh, but we're going to skip back in time to Sunday the 18th of June, mm-hmm. and... Um, Again, this is Midshipman Mason. I kept the forenoon watch this morning and the rest of the day I've been doing almost nothing except just before dinner reading my prayer book. Because, of course, um, you don't read Les Miserables uh, on a Sunday. That would be, uh, that would be wrong. Um, I am feeling very easy, uneasy about canning. It was several weeks past have been quite unwell. I don't think I have spoken of this person yet and it will well be necessary before going further to introduce him. He is one of our stowaways from Melbourne, a young Englishman who has been in our service and was badly wounded by a musket ball. There is something very mysterious about the person in question. Two years ago, coming out from home, Canning and a very nice-looking young woman, his wife, Diton, she, by the way, was very attentive to him, seeming to be perfectly wrapped up in her husband, if husband it is. They came from Havana to Southampton in the same steamer with our party. So uh, this, uh, this, this canning was um, when, uh, when Mason and, uh, and his fellow um, Confederate officers were heading to England to try and get a, um, what ended up being the Shenandoah, um, canning was on the same party, which is a, a very Dickensian coincidence. Yes. Um, and then they, they run into him in Melbourne. Uh, and then they run into him in Melbourne. Although, which again is a very Dickensian coincidence. Yes. Um, although I never spoke to them on the steamer, I remember the couple perfectly well and it was said openly that he was one of General Polk's staff officers, dangerously wounded and going abroad for his health. He was then a perfect skeleton. On our arrival at Southampton, of course, I lost sight of Canning and wife and never thought or heard of them again until we went to Melbourne. When Canning, who was then at Lidwerp... You know, I have to say, there is absolutely no Victorian town called Lidwerp. Lidwerp. No, no, never heard of that one. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Bishop and Mason. Lidwerp is no help. Um, Came down to Melbourne and wrote to Grimble, stating that his health was very much improved and that he was anxious to return to the Confederacy, but was in want of funds. It would require £60 to bring him safely there. None of us had £60 to give him. The captain could not do so, nor did bring him safely there. Um, 
sorry, nor did he wish Canning to come on board, and all of us were very much surprised he was among the stowaways. Really? Really? Maybe, because maybe something, you know, a master's mate or something was was doing the stowaways. Um, The captain created a marine corps and made him orderly sergeant, and he messes with the steerage officers and rooms with the captain's clerk. Canning tells me that his wife is in... France, which what astonishes me is that he should come all the way out to Australia alone in his delicate state of health. He speaks of a brother who lives in Australia and is a large sheep raiser, and yet he seems to be so perfectly helpless. His wound is very serious, the ball having passed through his body and one of his lungs, which is useless. When we left Melbourne, the wound was closed, but liable to open at any time, which it did a few weeks after, and has been so ever since. Oh, Constantly discharging matter. Da, 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 da. Oh, that's not good. Um, that that is not good. And, so he uh, he he was the aide de camp of General Leonidas Polk. Is that right? Well, or he claims to have been. Because Leonidas Polk was the bishop general. He was uh, a confederate general, but also a bishop in the Episcopalian Church. How very medieval. And um. Was generally described as being pompous and incompetent, utterly as a bishop, worthless. As a bishop or a general? I'm assuming as a general. <laughs> and uh, besides, he's, he's described uh, by one historian as being, besides being basically an incompetent general, Polk had the added fault of hating to take orders. And in fact, he was so useless as a general, they more or less had to make him a political general okay. eventually. Okay. Okay. So... I don't think being his aide-de-camp would have been a particularly enjoyable job and probably got you into more trouble than you needed to be. And I guess that's why he's ended up where he is. In fact, I think I can work out where this injury may have happened. Oh, dear. There was a point where a demonstration firing of a big cannon was being done called Lady Polk in honour of uh, the good bishop's wife. Unfortunately, during the demonstration, it exploded... And stunned Polk and blew his clothes off, which would have been very embarrassing. Uh, if his aide-de-camp was standing next to him, he possibly would have been injured as well. So oh, well. I think in any fictional recreation <laughs> of this, that's that's got to have been where this injury took place, don't you think? Well, look, I think, um, I think yeah, that, that is a, a perfectly Dickensian coincidence that uh, you, you run into somebody on the boat to Southampton and then you, you run into them... Um, in, uh, in Melbourne, as one does. Uh, and then, when you leave, he mysteriously appears on deck. Yes, and, and, as one of your stowaways. Yes, which they then make him, put him into a position that appears that he is completely unsuited to be doing, because it sounds like he's dying, well, really, doesn't uh, it? Um, excuse me, Michael. Uh, oh, have I, have I <laughs> spoilers again, Rob? Well, uh, will, will, will Mr. Canning's pretty wife... In, in England. If that see, is what she is. If that is what she is. E- ever see him again? Well, we shall find out. And anyway, um, we'll be finding out later because uh, this has been another uh, a very action-packed episode. An eight-day episode. An eight-day episode of Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirates Save the World with Robin Mob, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. Whew, I'm, I'm exhausted, Bob, but uh, tally-ho. And ahoy.